Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories, all before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. This is episode 49 of the Tomato Timer, and joining me today is my mentor and the founder of Stasher Entry, Jacob, who is recognized as a Forbes 30 under 30, uh, and he runs the Morality of Everything's podcast, an everyday philosophy show which ranks in the top 5% in the world rankings. That's incredible. Thank you so much for joining us, Jacob. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you for having me, Zeus. Um, so I want to start off with kind of your entrepreneurial journey. And you went, you took Stasher from an idea to a company which is valued at $12 million, uh, it's VC-backed. So you're kind of the typical student-to-entrepreneur kind of story, right? But um, tell me a little bit more about that story. How, how did it come up? How did it come about? Sure. Um, yeah, I should quickly say Stasher, for anyone who's not familiar with it, is a luggage storage platform. So basically, think Airbnb. Uh, instead of looking where you're going to stay, it's about where you can store your stuff. Actually, it's super useful for when you stay in Airbnbs. That was kind of part of the inspiration is you check out, you need somewhere to keep your things. Uh, keen travelers among you will probably be familiar with the problem. And the story starts... Back, as you say, when we were students and uh, we just moved down to London, I was doing my master's year and my co-founder got a job in digital marketing. And we talked a lot before then about wanting to become entrepreneurs. It was around the time when Airbnb and Uber and similar platforms were starting to become household names. You know, they were starting to get really popular. Uh, Partly, I think that was just the sharing economy wave was was beginning to take off and um, I guess there's something about platform dynamics as well that's quite exciting. So we were looking at those businesses and we were thinking, oh man, it'd be so cool if we could pull off something like that. Um, But we didn't have any concrete ideas until when we moved to London, we found that people were always asking if they could leave stuff at his place. So he used to live really centrally between King's Cross and Euston and anyone familiar with the city will know that they are two of the busiest stations. So people were asking him if they could leave stuff there all the time. And um, yeah, one time he just joked, he was like, I should be charging people for this. And we were like, Hang on a second. <laughs> and there was this real light bulb moment. And um, that, that, that part's completely true. We just were like, okay. And we got all excited. And we, uh, yeah, we, we basically went ahead and prototyped this website where people could book storage. And originally it was in my flat or Anthony's flat. And um, that in itself was useful because it meant that all our early customers came literally to our doorstep and we'd be interviewing them and asking them how they found us and why they needed us. And over time, the model has evolved. So we no longer do individual people's homes as hosts. We mainly use shops and hotels because they have regular opening hours and CCTV security features, and they like the ancillary income stream. So, yeah, you you, you learn and, and you grow. But uh, that was that was where it came from. That's so cool. It's a, it's a, like a really uh, proper eureka moment, and, and they actually kind of came together. Um, so, obviously. Um, this, like you guys were already thinking about it, but was the entrepreneurial pathway the the thing you always wanted to do? And in particular, um, so your story is, you know, it has all these kind of accolades and achievements, but is it always this a glamorous journey? You know, what, what are the things which people don't talk about? Yeah, obviously, you know, from all our conversations, that's um, it's absolutely not <laughs> glamorous all the way at all. And I mean, to be honest, the first year, it's funny looking back, I remember... The first year when we were doing this, we had so many people just being like, oh, is it safe? You know, I, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable using this. And and possibly worse for the people who sort of 
I don't know that they meant to be patronizing, but they'd ask things like, oh, how's the business project going? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't get taken seriously as, as, as sort of having a real business. And I remember the point that that changed was the point where we raised our first round of money because we um, uh, that happened at the end of our first year. We we were doing it part time alongside like my studies and Ant's job. Um, but when we got to the summer of 2016, we were getting bookings every day. It was starting to get quite exciting. We uh, wrote to the CEO of Big Yellow Storage. And uh, at the time, we were just sort of asking for like advice and with an angle to raising money. And he loved it. And he did come on board as our first investor. And I remember definitively that was the point where people suddenly started taking it more seriously. And they mm. stopped saying, how's the project? And started saying, how's the business? And, <laughs> um, and yeah, so that was, that was pretty cool. We also, it meant that we could go full time on it. So it stopped being a side hustle in the same way and started being our, our main focus. Um, did I always uh, know that I wanted to be, did I know that I wanted to work in luggage storage? Absolutely not. <laughs> be an entrepreneur? I think so. I think I've always, I've always loved the idea. I think partly it's that sense of like autonomy and getting to work for yourself and kind of, yeah. uh, I think as a student, I was always quite motivated to learn stuff like, you know, that I was curious about more so than what was set. Like, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people on here will probably identify with that. Like, you know, I guess you get sort of curriculum stuff that you have to do, but then sometimes the things you spend the most time on are the things that you're just curious about for the sake of it. You go down these sort of rabbit holes of like learning. And so I think I've always been sort of like that a little bit anyway. And so I guess, yeah, I, but I think what I, my honest answer would have been, I don't know that I would have bet on me becoming an entrepreneur as a student because I always figured that it was something where you kind of had to get lucky and get the right idea and you can't bank on that yeah. being the case. Um, and I guess, yeah, to a large extent, we were quite lucky with this because it was the right idea at the right time and timing yeah. is a big, big factor. Absolutely, timing is. Um, uh, there's so many things which could have become like the next big thing just because they weren't there at the right moment at the right time. It just didn't happen. Um, mm. You mentioned um, raising your first round and you, you mentioned going and, you know, talking to some of the, like these big players uh, right at the start. Um, mm. So this is kind of like a, a question which is independent of just entrepreneurship. Um, but you've obviously had to, you run your own podcast, you you know, you go around, you've pitched, I know you've pitched at, at the palace, you've done all these kind of things. So these kind of events are, are essentially convincing people, right? They're like massive. There was a book on my dad's shelf, I still remember, it's like, how do you speak so that others listen or something like, like some cheese well, like that. But it, it is true, right? How do you, how do you say something or how do you uh, describe or tell a story that other people want to listen and they're not just being like, kind of like being polite or anything like that. So what are the things you've learned along the way to convince people, whether it's investors or team members or anyone along that spectrum? It's a really good question. Um, and we, we were just talking about this before the show started. Uh, so I've been giving it some thought. There's a few elements to it. I should say, I mean, I don't think this is a skill that I had before I went into entrepreneurship. I, I, I don't think it's something that you're, I'm sure some people are born quite persuasive, but I, I don't think that I was. I think it's something I've had to learn through the process of, like in the early days of Stasher, a lot of it was door-to-door um, -door sales. We'd go around shops and hotels and meet with the managers in person and try and sign them up. And often it was cold sales as well. So it wouldn't even be appointments. We'd literally just go into these shops and be like, have you ever thought about storing luggage in your back room? And, um, you know, there's, there's nothing like getting rejected thousands of times to <laughs> like boost your confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it depends a bit on the context and 
every contact you, you gave a few examples there and they're all slightly different. So pitching at competitions, pitching to investors or, or like pitching for sales or, or, you know, hiring people team, they all have slightly different needs. But I think that's the first thing to say is it's about recognizing the needs of your audience and making sure what you're saying is relevant to that. You use the word storytelling. I think that's key. I think the second big thing is about if you want to be convincing, you want to sort of create the story, the sort of narrative structure. People are very sort of narrative minded in the way they look at the world. We have a sort of narrative lens. And so if you can kind of present this journey and then show people where they fit into it, they really identify quite strongly with your proposition. So, you know, simple example in the case of trying to sign up a host, you explain the proposition, you explain the need. If you can link their needs to what you're doing, you say, you know, you're looking for a way to break ancillary revenue. We've got a really simple product this is the journey that we're on and this is where you fit into it. You start to create this quite persuasive like narrative that people can mm-hmm. buy into. That's, I think, more tellingly the case with pitches and with VCs because that's quite a clear-cut conversation. You're, you're basically like, I've got this idea, I want to grow it. VCs, I think, you know, they'll, they'll talk about the ways that they're different, but in general, what they're really looking for is, one, to make a good return on their money, but two, to have something they're like, they can kind of boast about in their clubs or whatever, (laughs) you know, something they can feel proud of their, you know, Oh, I invested in this like great travel tech company or this great climate tech company and something they feel like, you know, excited to be a part of. And again, that comes back to that storytelling element. I guess other elements around talking convincingly come down to like the confidence with which you present yourself, Mm -hmm. good balance of like sort of tone and pace and, and all these things. But those are smaller details. I think if you've got the, um, got the right sort of, needs and storytelling aspects met i think then it does start to tie together um yeah uh, just just be confident as well of course um i uh, talk a lot about uh, or try to uh, convince uh younger kind of generations to, to be more uh sensitive to this kind of this art of storytelling we uh, similarly to you I, I i wasn't able to do any of this i wasn't able to present i was a, a very shy kid i couldn't go and shake other people's hands in the beginning um, so it was, it's been a big kind of jump for me as well. Um, and I always tell them, you know, the importance, not just for an entrepreneur, not just for someone who's working in a job in every case, uh, as a human being, as, as someone who lives in a social, um, society, right. We, we need mm. to be convincing and speaking and, and, and sharing our insights and actually bringing people along. Um, we are at the end of the day, a part of a community in, in every case we are living. So it's such an important skill. Um, and it's something that's, you know, as with all the important skills, not taught at school as well. Um, yeah, classic. <laughs> so maybe like uh, they kind of reinforce my ideas or tell me a little bit, they convince me if why it's important for students, specifically whether it's at, you know, uni or even at school, why should they be kind of thinking about these skills as important in their life? I suppose even if you don't see yourself as a natural salesman or wanting to go in a sales facing role, sales is like you say, it's a part of life beyond just business. Um, if you think about the process of getting a job, you have to sell yourself. You have to sell yeah. your skills. If you think about the process of going on dates, <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're, you're sort of, that's a bit more specific context, but you are kind of selling yourself as a person to, to, to start a relationship with or whatever it's, it's, you, you want to be able to sort of present yourself confidently in, in, in all walks of life. And I think, um, you know, if you're at school, you, you, I suppose you're thinking about university applications, but even, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really matter what sort of specific context it is. It's, it's just about like 
the confidence it gives you in presenting yourself and then and then it's so useful right like you you talk about sort of being able to take people on journeys and persuade them and, and, and kind of tie them to your story it's it's just it's just a fantastically useful life skill beyond the sort of obvious business context of being able to sell things mm-hmm. now i want to um talk about the kind of the now uh, what you've been working on the past few months i think um mm. so obviously covid hasn't been very friendly to a travel tech company <laughs> <It has not. laughs> Over the this past few months of knowing you, even you know, we uh, I know our first mentorship call started off with you telling me about this idea or this kind of prototype that you'd been developing, and now mm. you launched uh, Tree Points, uh, an, a kind of an application which is fighting climate change essentially. Um, so I am in awe of you to see that you know you took a hit. Did, you know? <laughs> um, it was it must have been tough. You know, lots of your workers had to be furloughed and all that kind of stuff, and at the same time you were able to take you know not only were you able to pivot and but you were able to start something new and and bring it to where it has so tell me a little bit about tree points and also tell me about kind of where does that kind of motivation and energy and um that that kind of mental stability or emotional uh kind of like you know stability come from to kind of keep going especially in moments of of direness you know <laughs> I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll sort of walk you through the last year i guess that's probably the easiest way to answer the Absolutely. question um yeah covid i mean i am not unique covid's been been a weird year for everyone i think in some ways uh this is perhaps my like innate optimism shining through in the worst of cases like in some ways the fact that it was so bad for stasha was almost a good thing right because i remember talking to an advisor in the like in the run-up to covid like in sort of february march time before things had really been announced we were like this is going to be really bad news like as soon as we sort of come to europe we were like okay we're in trouble here and we were like all right cash flow sort of do all the forecasting all, all the sensible stuff like i got out ahead of it with our investors i was like you know we've got all these contingency plans in place as it happens like my my worst case contingency plans were like nowhere near the scale of what happened but and obviously Mm-hmm. I could never have predicted the government support would have been as good as it was and, and, and everything else that kind of went with that. So once once that sort of storm had kind of blown over, you know, there was a period in which we're like, can we pivot things with Stasha? Can we reutilize the assets? And I think the fact that, you know, we were hit on both sides. So like our supply of storage, the hotels and the shops, they all had to close because of regulations. Our demand was tourists and no one was traveling. So we were like, we've kind of got just a website, (laughs) we've been reduced to just a platform, but like, there's not a lot we can do here. And I think I saw tons of other companies kind of like flailing to pivot and some did well and some didn't. And, and, you know, they were trying to repurpose our resources. And in the end we were like, in some ways, this is a weird advantage. It's just the clearest thing for us to do is hibernate because we can't, we can't really make something work out of nothing here. I'm talking back in April. So we basically just like put Stasher in hibernation saved the money, um, tried to keep sort of things as upbeat and positive with the team as possible. Like we didn't let anyone go. It was just a case of the furlough scheme um, running out. But um, yeah, so we actually, we ended up with this nice situation where we had a few months off really, which is really rare as entrepreneurs, especially because last year we raised a round of money and like, you know, I've been working sort of insanely long to, to make that happen. And then 2020 was the big year and we just started our international expansion plans and then it kind of got paused. And I was in this weird position where we're like, okay, have some time off. Um, so we did that. And that was that was in its own way, quite nice, quite refreshing. It was like, it was a weird time, obviously, for everyone, it was lockdown. So it wasn't like we could really do all that much with time off. But like, it was a good chance to sort of do some upskilling and, and tons of exercise and, and whatever, just kind of keep healthy, keep as happy as possible. 
we started the podcast around that period just because we're like, well, we've got this time and we we'd be having these debates anyway. So let's uh, let's yeah. basically like record them <laughs> and broadcast them. Um, and, and you mentioned that in the intro. Thanks for that. It's basically, yeah, it's just a podcast. It's an everyday philosophy podcast where we'll take controversially, not even necessarily controversial, but interesting questions like, is it wrong to listen to the music of problematic artists was last week? The one coming out this week is, is it morally wrong to keep pets? which is actually something I hadn't thought of until Ant asked me, and then we recorded it. Um, so that was quite fun. Uh, and then things started to pick up in the summer, so that was looking all right for Stasha. And then the second wave reared its head, and we basically, we was like, hey, you know, the first break was fine. It was all right to take some time off, but just as, I guess, it's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like, we were just like, we're not happy to just sort of sit still for six months on furlough and, and do nothing, you know? Like, there's not enough that we can do on Stasha because, because of the sort of particular circumstances um and we basically just this was different it's a very different experience to founding stasha because stasha came about because we were like we were keen to do something and the idea kind of hit us and three points was like we've got this free time and we don't want to be <laughs> like stuck indoors without anything to focus on what can we possibly do and we we like literally went to the whiteboard and we're like what problems do we care about what could we do about them and we settled we had like climate change and financial inequity as the two like final candidates of like how can we do something on this we had this vague idea of tying them together into like a green investment platform and then we worked backwards from that to an mvp because we were like it's obviously there's financial regulation etc that would go into being able to qualify for that but what we could do is make a simple subscription platform for people to live carbon neutral so uh to support offsetting tree planting uh bottle recycling all these kind of other good green activities yeah and it sort of evolved into this quite nice concept of like, we, we sort of think of it as the app for managing the green side of your life. And it's not really targeted at super eco sort of warrior type people either. It's actually, it's more for your average person, kind of like me and Ant, who cared about climate change, but you know, we, we don't sort of make a point of like, we don't eat vegan, for example. And this is all stuff that we're finding out now because we had the time to research it. And um, so we started with that, the three points, um, and project has sort of evolved to encompass businesses and we've built this api that means businesses can easily embed offsetting or tree planting so in due course and more and more shops you'll see make this order carbon neutral and ticking that will basically trigger an offset through tree points um which is quite a nice yeah. um uh little project uh on its own so yeah that's that's where we've got to now I, it's actually been brilliant i think it's been a real positive for my own like mental health <laughs> and everything else to have this project to just fully devote myself to because i otherwise i'd really miss having that same focus that stasha would otherwise have brought me um you know we keep stasha ticking along but like we say it's while that's on furlough it's actually been a great thing to be able to focus the team on an entirely new project instead yeah it's it's really interesting i i i might have used the wrong words in the question it wasn't a pivot it was almost like a a hibernation and the and a start of a new completely new idea yeah yeah because strictly it's it's its own separate thing um and in due course we're looking to possibly raise some money for three points too because i think it's it's become such a hot space if you'll pardon the pun like the climate tech mm. <laughs> area is just it's just getting really really exciting and you know we've talked to a few investors already who are just like they're so keen on the space and and and, yeah. and sort of how we can do more so actually my next question was on that itself climate tech um this intersection of fighting climate change through entrepreneurship and technological solutions. What's it like? You've been in it for a few months now. Um, and 
why is it important to do it in this way versus because we we you know climate change isn't isn't new. Um, it's been it's been fought being fought by like large organizations and NGOs for many many years now. But why mm. is it so exciting to do it now and then using kind of startups as a vehicle to solve it? It's an excellent question. I think in some ways the pandemic has highlighted um, one really key thing about the nature of the world we live in, and that's a sense of like how connected we are, and like this one problem in the case of the pandemic itself has just like swept the entire globe. And it's quite a telling example of, as I say, like how, how connected we are as a sort of global society. And it's, it's almost a bit of a foreshadowing of like how devastating climate change will be yeah. if we kind of allow it to run rampant mm. across the world as a whole. Um, so I think, I do think as soon as the pandemic subsides, climate change will rightly so become the like dominant, issue that's sort of center stage in the media or the dominant crisis, if you like, that's facing our world. Um, and then as to sort of climate tech as an industry, it's a really interesting space. And I think one thing we're all figuring out as sort of climate entrepreneurs, I mean, something we did really early on was we were like, if we're going to set something up like this, it can't be a for-profit enterprise in the same way. So we made it a social enterprise and we basically said like legally in the articles, the focus is impact, not profit. Um, and any investors that subscribe will, again, they'll be sort of tied into that. It's impact, not profit. So it's, it's something about the fact that it's like a sort of problem the way that it is. Just it, it wouldn't feel right to sort of <laughs> fight it with sort of profits in the same way. Um, that being said, I do think there's a lot of benefit to using private enterprise. And, and, and obviously, we're a private business. We're not an NGO or a registered charity because I think it allows you to for one, raise investment and be quite nimble and market and and, and kind of in, in many ways just employ the skills that we've picked up over the last sort of five or so years of running um, running another business, right? Like, um, you know, the, these are skills that we've honed over the course of marketing a different service, but you can, a lot of them are quite transferable. So we're using that now to like, you know, tech expertise to build out a solution that's actually just like makes offsetting quite easy. Um, and... So I think I think it's, it is important. I think the other thing that's important is just there's a lot of really bright and talented people out there who, who work on all sorts of startups. And I think getting more and more of them working on big problems like this is, is just yeah. a great use of people's time and energy. And um, yeah, it, it's it's fun. You meet some really good people as well. Um, some some really interesting people out to tackle the problem. Yeah, I was going to kind of mention this because like there's a morality to it right when you're fighting a crisis like you know you're you have to you have to do it in a socially and responsible way essentially mm. um and more and more especially kind of the the entrepreneurs that i've been surrounded by almost always have their startup having some sort of social impact as part of their offering anyway so it's really encouraging to see that but it's i, I still find it challenging to kind of um live in economics of the world where impact there, there's impact isn't a what's the what's the nft thing going around these days it's not a non-fungible token right it's it's not yeah i've seen them going around yeah so is, is there a possibility where impact can become part of our kind of like economics you know so if there's like cash flow projections there's impact projections mm -hmm. as well because that's as important as whether a company is is liquid or whatever yeah, because I mean, you're a shining example of this, right? Like we've we've talked about this a few times in our previous yep. calls with 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 Zenotes, and just like you know, it's primarily set up for 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 impact, or that's always been your your mission and agenda, and and you've sort of had the challenge of like 
making the the financial side support the impact that you want to have. And I think True Points is similar to that. I think, and I hope we're actually the generate like our generation and the and the generations that follow us are kind of growing up in an era where like capitalism is gonna is evolving or is going to have to evolve to encompass some of the stuff you've just talked about. And I think mm. I mean for us, we grew up like through the financial crisis, right? Like that was something we saw firsthand as yeah. like kids in school and then and then like now sort of graduating university just entered the job market and we've had the pandemic <laughs> it's had a, a string of, sort of there's two crises in a row that were both called once in a lifetime mm-hmm. um and both in different ways kind of highlight the fragility of the, the the capitalist system and and i don't i don't mean that in a sort of post-capitalist idealistic way i think i think capitalism is is a very efficient way of, of or it's the most efficient way that we know of allocating resources thus far. But I think the good thing about the pandemic has been around the way that governments have sort of rallied to provide support in ways that we've never seen before. And it's actually kind of pushed the envelope in terms of what we know is possible. And it makes you realize that, you know, this is, this is a year in which public health has kind of superseded all other concerns. And actually yeah. that shows to me that it's possible if we were to sort of prioritize environmental health or, or other aspects like, Correct. It's kind of the job of politics to balance all these aims. And for a long time, we did have like economic growth as kind of first and foremost. But actually, it's ultimately the role of politics, even more so than economics, to kind of balance these different aims and, and create a world that supports that. Because it's just about aligning incentives. And, and if we can align people and businesses' incentives to, to have a positive environmental impact, among other things, then I think we, we get way closer to building the kind of world that we want to inherit and and want to be a part of running so again yeah. i'm really optimistic but <laughs> i think we'll get there i think enough yeah. there that yeah. <laughs> entrepreneurs need to be eternally optimistic um jacob it's been amazing having you um we've kind of hit the, the pomodoro just about now but i'd like to kind of close um with a few words from you of advice essentially um independent of entrepreneurship because your journey has had a whole bunch of things and uh it class it just under an entrepreneur's journey is is i think uh, not fair. So, how what do you, how would you leave us with with your words? Okay, um, I don't want this to sound too cheesy, but essentially, one of the things that we've learned over time is um, it, you should never be afraid to reach out to people, and and in particular, quite like high up people. We got very lucky with the big yellow storage thing, for example. We just cold emailed the CEO, and a couple of months later, he came on board as our first investor. That's the first in a series of examples of times where we've just like reached out to interesting or important people doesn't always come off but i think there's there's you know you lose nothing by trying in in a, in a lot of these cases yeah. so my main thing would just be you know one don't be afraid to reach out and two don't be afraid to like take that step you know with the podcast we just just put it live we didn't have any sort of expectation or ambition for it to grow the way it did and we got lucky because a couple of episodes went viral on reddit so you know it's just one of those things you just kind of you do enough things and you get lucky and things kind of snowball amazing Thanks so much for being here. It was awesome to have you. And that's another episode of the Tomato Timer. If you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week, join the Xenos Discord server. The invite link is in the description. And to learn more about Xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all, go to xenos.org. Bye for now.